And take your Bibles, turn with me please over to 1 Timothy chapter number three. Appreciate the good singing tonight. Good singing tonight. Every song spoke to my heart. I sat there while the choir was singing, the adult choir was singing. My very first song, That Isn't Love. Listening to the choir, beautiful harmony. I got to thinking about all of our missionaries all over the world. A bunch of them, little house churches and living rooms and little storefronts. Hadn't been there long enough to get a choir. And I just sat there and enjoyed the choir for them. Is that even, is that even possible to enjoy the choir? Enjoy the choir for somebody else? I listen to it through the ears of somebody that don't get to hear it every week. Amen. It made it a little bit better. Are you in 1 Timothy 3? Stand with me, please. I'm going to read one verse. Verse number 15 is a verse I use often. I'm going to use it again tonight, at least as a springboard. Paul said, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God and the pillar and the ground of the truth. I want to preach tonight on this thought, how a church loses ground. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Singing's been good. Our hearts have been stirred. I pray now that you bless the preaching of your word. And may God's people be challenged, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. I use this verse often. There's a lot in this verse. I'm not even going to begin to exhaust this verse tonight. I'm going to use it as a springboard. Uh, just pray for me. I'm still not 100%. Uh, used to, I'd get a, a cold and be over in about two days. Uh, now it takes about two weeks to get over one. Anybody, can, anybody identify with that? You get one of them colds, you're like, oh, here we go. It's going to be a long two or three weeks, but... I've got a message on my heart. Whether or not physically I'm able to do it justice, I want the message to be tonight that God can use it. I, I uh, notice in this verse, just to dive right into the introduction, I don't have it on the screen if you want to write it down. You see Paul's aspiration in verse number 15, in 14, 15, these things right out under thee, hoping to come to thee shortly. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know Paul was a teacher. Paul, Paul was a teacher. Paul was constantly writing down things he wanted people to know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try not to get distracted here, but I was uh, sitting at the airport a few weeks ago. Me and Brother Adrian went somewhere. I don't remember where. Uh, it seems like I'm on an airplane every time I turn around for something or another. And uh, I have TSA pre-check, which means I don't have to take my shoes off and take my uh, belt off, and I don't have to take my laptop out of my bag, and I can just zip right through there. But Brother Adriel, he had to go stand in line. <laughs> I told him, I said, I'll, I'll meet you on the other side, amen. And I went through the short line, and he went through the long line. And he must have been in a long line, because I sat there and I was reading my Bible on my phone, 
I was reading in Ecclesiastes and a verse jumped off the page at me. I had no intentions of going right here, but I'm going to go here because God told me to. Um, talking about Paul having the heart of a teacher. And it talked about Ecclesiastes 12. Somebody might need this tonight. The preacher was wise, verse 9, because more, more for the, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Um, longer I'm in the ministry, the more I realize the need for teaching. And, and, and don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about as a substitute or a replacement for preaching. And there's, there's two, those are two, two different things. All right, teaching, teaching is, a, is, a, uh, is a systematic academic approach to a subject. And, um, you know, the women are commanded in Titus 2 to teach the younger women. Um, everybody can be a teacher to some extent, I guess. They should be, I guess. But there's no substitute for preaching. Preaching forces you to make a decision about what's being, being preached. There's not a lot of preaching anymore, a lot of teaching. A lot of preachers label themselves as teachers. I'm a teacher preacher. No, you just don't like to back people up in the corner. Why don't you just go ahead and say, say it, tell it what it is. You don't like to force people to make a decision. Preaching does that. It forces you to make a decision about the subject. But the preacher was wise in verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 12 and still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. Always looking for the right way to say it. Always looking for that, that, that powerful word that can spark, motivate a person. To do something. That which was written was upright, even words of truth. Verse 11, words of the wise are his goads. We would know that as like a cattle prod, a goad, a sharp stick they would use. I'm thinking about a missionary we had in here one time that brought one with him. Who was that? Remember? Brother Jeff Porter from Africa brought one of those sharp sticks up here with him, a goad. And as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, I guess you'd have to be a builder, a framer maybe to understand that, the importance of that. He wanted to get it nailed down where it won't move, amen. Which were given from one shepherd. And further by these my son be admonished. Of making many books there is no end. Of making many books there is no end. He's talking about a wise preacher. He's talking about a preacher that's wanting to teach people things and, and motivate them and goad them and nail some things down. And right in there he talks about making books. We don't have enough, we don't have enough independent Baptists writing good books. I've gone to places where preachers get up and they rip you over the coals for, not, for, for buying all the wrong books with all the wrong Bible translations and all the wrong doctrine in them, but... They ain't given a whole lot of alternatives. Right. Amen. I just felt like throwing that out there. Paul was a teacher. Paul was constantly writing things because he wanted some people to know some things. And all right, back in our text, I just felt like going over Ecclesiastes. I'll say more about that later, I guess. One reason why I write, David said that my my 
say my hand, my hand or my, my mouth is the pen of a ready writer. Did he say my mouth or my hand? My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Well, I've been thinking about that for about three weeks. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. How would you like to be able to say that what you're saying is worth writing down? You're saying something that's substantial enough needs to be wrote down. I'm just throwing this out for whoever. <clears throat> Marissa's, got, Marissa's got a new book out. It's in the bookstore. We ordered a whole bunch of them. Some of y'all don't know what's in there. She's working on number two or number three. And uh, I'm proud of her. Writing books. Amen. Paul said, these things write I unto thee. We wouldn't have a Bible if men of God didn't write stuff down. That's deep, ain't it? That's real deep. We would not have a Bible if men had not written things down. Okay. There might be some of you in here, maybe you can't preach. Maybe God don't want you to preach. But he might want you to write. Brother, uh, Brother Arthur back there has got, what, four books out now in the bookstore on poems. When you read those, you know what they are? They're goads. They stir you. They motivate you. I'm trying to get past this point right here, but I feel like I need to say that. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come to thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know. I want you to know some things. Paul's aspiration, that he might know some things. Secondly, Paul's admonition, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. You've heard me preach that a dozen times in a dozen different ways. I won't labor that point tonight, but Paul was a firm believer that there was something different about the church. And we ought to behave different at church. There's a different culture at church. Amen. If, if the church looks like a nightclub or something wrong, it didn't start out that way, somebody fooled with it. Somebody mess with it. If the church looks like a, a show, if it looks like something you'd see at Dollywood or Six Flags, there's something wrong with it. God didn't intend for that. Something different about the church. And I, for one, still believe in being reverent at church. I know. I, we've got people who come to church every service, didn't grow up in church. They don't know how to act in church, and I get that. But I was taught to go to the bathroom for church. Not during the first song or the second song. If some of y'all go to the bathroom on your job as much as you go at church, I don't know how you make your boss any money at all. Go to the bathroom, get some water for church, and then come to church and sit down and enjoy the church service. But I ain't going to preach on all that. This is Paul's admonition that thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Thirdly, we got Paul's analogy. He says, the church of, of, of God, which is the, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And he referred to the church using two different analogies here, two different words. He called it, first of all, the pillar. That's a symbol and a picture of strength. And then you've got the the ground, he called it the ground of truth in verse number 15. That speaks of stability. What I want to preach about tonight is how church loses ground. And I guess this has just been kind of percolating in the back burner of my heart since last week when I went down to 
Kings Mountain, North Carolina, and I was asked to be uh, in that uh, church planners conference. Brother Stephen Sykes is a missionary out in, in New Mexico, church planner. He's, he's planted three churches in New Mexico, and I've uh, known him for a number of years, and there were other church planters there as well. Brother Todd Bell was there from Maine. He started eight churches in Maine. And uh, I had the opportunity to preach a couple times and do a couple of morning uh, sessions, which I thoroughly enjoyed doing. But while I was there, I, I, was, um, I was really bothered by the statistics that Brother uh, Sykes shared with us. By the way, he doesn't do this conference every year. He tries to do it every 10 years. So 10 years ago, he took... And he went through every city, every town in the United States, entered in the data. He was a, he was a data, a statistics data, data analyst for a Fortune 500 company before God called him into the ministry. And he's just got a, he's got a knack. Can I say that? He's got a knack for that. We'd probably be bored to tears, but he got on the computer and after hours and hours of, of study, he was able to come up with a pretty good idea of where we're at in the United States as far as the need for churches. I shared this with you just the other week, and I'm not repeating myself. I want to expand on it just a little bit. Because when we sat there, he started out with his presentation. He had a presentation, and I've got the book here that he did of his presentation. Every page is a different slide that he showed during his State of the Union address on Monday night. And I was absolutely floored at how much ground we've lost in America. Um, I couldn't believe it that there is, after 10 years of him doing these statistics, these numbers, were 301 less independent fundamental Baptist churches in America than we were 10 years ago. 31 states have lost multiple churches in their state. Six states have lost more than 25 independent Baptist churches in their state. And, I, and, 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 he, and I'm not going to stand up here and read off all these numbers, but it was, it's unbelievable when he gave the population based on two, two, can I say baseline stats he had to have some sort of a, a, a point to go off of. He called it two assumptions. And the two assumptions was that every church that he looked at, that he counted as being an independent Baptist Bible preaching church, he worked under the assumption that every one of them was a soul winning church. And we know that they're all, they're all of them's not. And the other assumption that he worked off of to establish a baseline was that every church is not only a soul winning church, but is reaching 5,000 people a year. And we know that that's also not very realistic. But he had to, he had to start somewhere. So that was, his, that was his assumption. And with that statistic that I just gave you as a qualifier, he began to rank the states in the United States and New Jersey is at the top of the list. Only 3.9% of the state is being reached. 
with the two churches that I just gave you, which you and I both know is probably, maybe half of that would be right. California, only 4.07% of California is being reached. Now there's some crazy things happening in California. But what do you expect? What do you expect? Utah, only 4.5%. Maryland made the top 10. Maryland, only 7.53% of Maryland is being reached. And we wonder what the problem is. Can I say it tonight? The churches are losing ground. We're losing ground in America, but we're losing ground on a church level. And that's, that's why it's happening. Right. Satan is just chipping away at the pillar and the ground of the truth. My heart has been heavy. My heart has been broken, just to be honest with you, over the state of our nation. Brother Joel Haynes, our missionary out in Navajo Nation, will be preaching our missions conference in March. He asked me when he was here, he said, would you, would you consider coming out for a couple days in January and, and help do some classes and teach my national pastors? And I said, absolutely. I'd be glad to. Brother, I'm forgetting his last name, Nathan Kirkman is in Logan, Utah. Went out there a few years ago, we've known Brother Nathan since he's on deputation. Started a church in Utah, Mormon country. Went in Mormons to the Lord. He called me after the men's conference down at Brother Watson's. He said, would you come out and preach a missions conference for me? Would you help my people in the area of missions? I said, I'd be honored. A little church plant in Utah, I'd be honored. One of our missionaries, that'll be in October, by the way, one of our missionaries that we support in Allen, Texas, Brother J.D. Leak, his daughter's been fighting a lot of bad health issues. He called me about a year ago. He said, would you come out and preach for me at our little church plant in Texas? I said, I'd be thrilled. You know what blows my mind is how many of these guys I talk to, they say, I can't get nobody to come preach for me. I said, you ain't asked me. I will. Our missionary in Aruba when he was here, he said, would you come out and preach a missions conference for me? He said, I can't get anybody to come to Aruba and preach a missions conference. He said, I've been here 19 years. I cannot get an American pastor to come preach a missions conference. I said, you've got to be joking me. And I know what some of y'all are thinking. I'll go. Now, he's not looking for somebody to come lay in a hammock and drink lemonade for three days. He's wanting somebody to come preach on faith promise missions to his little church plant in Aruba. And me and Brother Leader trying to figure out how I can do that without missing any more Sundays. My heart is here. My calling is here. But there's a need. I'm spread about as thin as I can go right now. I need some help. We need their cities. There's cities, if I, get, if I pull this book out, I won't even preach. You're not going to believe the cities in America. 
Hampstead, New York, population 793,000 people, no independent Baptist church. When I say no independent Baptist church, we're talking about his statistics. And he's not infallible and he knows that. He said there may be one I don't know about, but I, I couldn't find it. Newark, New Jersey, population 311, no church. Brookhaven, New York, population 485,000, no independent Baptist Bible preaching church. That's just in the Northeast. He's got it broke down in regions. He's got it broke down by, by regions. Irving, California, population 307,000, no independent Baptist church. It's unreal. The three most needed cities on the West Coast is San Diego, California, population of 1.3 million people. It's unbelievable. And how many cities in our, in our Lakewood, Colorado, population 155,000, no independent Baptist church. Provo, Utah, 115,000 people, no church. I could just sit here all night, all night long. This, this, this presentation broke my heart. I realized we're losing ground. We're not gaining ground, we're losing ground. We're not even holding the fort. The fort's been overrun. And we still got people saying, well, I'm praying for the Lord to open the door. Have you reached out and turned the doorknob? So I want to give you a couple things tonight. I'm going to lay it on my heart this afternoon about how a church loses ground because I don't want to see us lose ground in this church. My burden for this church is greater now than it was when I got here eight years ago. There's nights I can't hardly sleep. I've got notepads everywhere. I've got notes on my phone everywhere. Next time I get a chance to preach, I've got to say this. Next time I teach, I'm going to say this. I don't want to see this church lose ground. The devil would love for this church to lose ground. He'd love to take me out. He's been attacking me physically for months. He'd love to take me out. He'd love to take you out. He'd love to take this church out. I'm going to tell you how he'll do it. He's done it in many places, many churches, shutting doors. I got a, I got a text message from somebody last week. said, our pastor is resigning. There's five or six of us. We don't want to shut the doors. Do you know anybody that will come be our preacher? Boy, that broke my heart. I was walking around at that meeting, walking up to this complete stranger, saying, you know anybody that go to, I believe it was Colorado, you know anybody to go to Colorado and help these people? You know anybody to go pastor these five or six or seven people? They've already got a building. Brother Sykes, Brother Sykes said, a man walked up to him and dropped the keys in his hand of a church building an hour from where he's at. Said, here, you can have it. Gave him the building. They're folding left and right. Why? How? I'm going to give you five reasons right quick. Number one, write this down. The mandate is disregarded. I'm going to tell you how to lose ground when the mandate is disregarded. You know what the mandate is, don't you? Getting soul saved. A church ever stops getting soul saved, the death knell begins to ring. A church that fails to win souls and fulfill the great commission will soon cease to be. 
I was reading in Acts chapter number five. I read Acts a lot. I like what God did in Acts. I like that early church. People say, I'm old-fashioned. How old-fashioned are you? You want to go back to the 70s? You want to go back to the 50s? You want to go back to the 1800s? I'm for going all the way back to Acts 2, to be honest with you. That's God's prototype of the church, Acts 2. When he unveiled that church at Pentecost, that is what he wanted the church to look like. Multinational, multiracial, racial. People getting saved every day. In Acts 5, 14, the believers, the Bible says the believers were the more added to the church. Multitudes, both of men and women. I read that verse and it stopped me. I thought, I wonder how many got saved. Because in Acts 2, 41, 3,000 got saved. In Acts 2, 47, they were getting saved daily. In Acts 4, 4, the Bible says about 5,000 got saved. You get to Acts 5, 14, it just says multitudes of men and women were added. You gotta wonder how many got saved when it just says there was a whole bunch of them. It already named 3,000. It already named 5,000. Now it just says there was more added. There was just, they was just getting saved by the multitudes. Now I wanna be in a church like that. I wanna be in a church where people getting saved is a common occurrence. But you'd be shocked at how many churches people don't get saved for weeks, months. Believers were the more added. I believe we fail to understand just how important it is to God. People to get saved. Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repenteth. Well, Brother Samuel used to quote that verse all the time. It didn't say the angels were rejoicing. It said they was rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Choir sung that song, The Value of One. When they were singing that first song, If That Isn't Love, I had hot tears running down my face. I thought, boy, I want to hear that choir sing another song. I looked at Brother Caleb, I said, can y'all sing another one? And I started to say, sing The Value of One, but I didn't, because I didn't know if he had it in front of him or not. He said, we're going to sing The Value of One. I was like, mmm. <laughs> the Value of One. Rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repenteth. If we ever as a church lose, if we ever lose that, then go ahead and carve out the tombstone. The great commission, the great command, Brother Sam used to call it, the great command Was given to every believer. There's not a one of you sitting in here right now that's saved that is exempt from the Great Commission. Not a one of you. It was given to every believer and it was given to us to reach every person. And it was given to extend to every nation. Every nation. I like the sound of that. Every nation. Every tongue, every tribe, every kindred, every nation. 
And we're finding them and vetting them as hard as we can. Brother Chuck Wiley reached out to me after that conference. He said, you think maybe we could implement the Every State Project? I said, I'm thinking I like that pretty good. Every state and every nation. There's only 50. And we're already in a handful of them. It's just money. Find church planters in these states where they don't have churches and help them. We're going out, hopefully we're going out to Navajo Nation next August. Brother Haynes is begging us to come bring another load out. We were supposed to last year, year four last, and last year I believe it was, and all everybody out there got sick and we had to cancel our plans. And boy, I was bummed out about that. We already had all the stuff printed. We was going to take what, close to 40. We already had the plane tickets. We already had the motel rooms. We already had the buses rented out there and the vans. We was going to go in those towns where those... Now the whole national pastors are trying to start churches and where they've started churches and go out and canvas and help them. I was looking forward to that. Because I know what it's like trying to start a church and not have no help. It's a lot better when you got some help. If we can make it a priority. The mandate's disregarded. That's how church loses ground. J. Harold Smith says, only as the church fulfills her missionary obligation does she justify her existence. Amen. I was talking to a pastor down there, gave his, gave his uh, well, a preacher was giving his testimony down there at the meeting. He said, they knocked on the door and man come to the door and he said, can I help you? He said, yeah, we're so-and-so from so-and-so Baptist church. So the man walked out on the door, walked out on the front porch and said, he looked around. Y'all are Baptist? He said, the only people that's knocked on my door for the last 20 years was Mormons. He said, you're the first Baptist to knock on my door. <laughs> we got folks in here tonight ain't never knocked on the door ever. Ever. Never been soul winning one time. Missions is not the ministry of choice for a few hyperactive Christians in the church. Missions is the purpose of the church. J. Stewart Holden said, Go ye is as much a part of Christ's gospel as come unto me. He said, You're not even a Christian until you have honestly faced your responsibility to regard to the carrying of the gospel to the ends of the earth. That was J. J. Stewart Holden said that. Ted Ingstrom said a congregation that is not deeply and earnestly involved in the worldwide proclamation of the gospel does not understand the nature of salvation. I said it this morning. That text out of Luke 13 Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath teaching and there was a woman there. Just a few verses later, the ruler of the synagogue was filled with indignation. It hit me going home. Well, we know who didn't invite her to church. We know who didn't invite her to come meet Jesus because she did and she got healed and he got mad. 
wonder how many people you've brought to church that got saved. You better be careful, it's addictive. Be careful. How does a church lose ground? Mandate is disregarded. We're going to keep soul winning front and center here. Amen. We're going to keep missions front and center. I turn down missions trips about one a week because I want to be here. My, my calling is here. My heart is here. My burden is here. But I turn down a missions trip about one a week. People begging me to come. I can't be in but one place at the time. Personally, physically, I can only be in one place at the time. But through faith promised missions, we can be in a whole bunch of places at the same time. Amen. Amen. Number two, how a church loses ground is when the message is disputed. Ever get to the place to where you come to church to listen to the preaching so you can argue and debate? That church is in for a hurt, a lot of hurt, a lot of hurt. I sat across the table from a preacher friend of mine. Just a few days ago, my wife and I had a burden on my heart. I said, call them, see if we can just take them out to eat. <clears throat> see if we can meet up with them and take them out to eat. Preacher and his wife, pastor and his wife. They walked in. They could see the weight of the world on their shoulders. They sat down at the table. I said, how are y'all doing? How are y'all doing? His wife said, I'm about to start crying. That's what she said. You could just see the stress on that preacher. He said, would you believe I had a woman that has listened to every message I've preached for the last six years and made notes of everything I preached that she didn't agree with. Could you imagine having no life at all? No life. That you live to dissect the man of God's message. Write down everything he said that you didn't like and didn't agree with. I believe I'm not going out on a limb when I say you can't be doing that and be saved. That woman's loss is a ball in high weeds. I'll tell you, if you ever get to where you've got a critical spirit, you want to argue and debate. We had a man here last, last week. He said, I don't like what that preacher said. I'm going to come next week and I'm going to prove him wrong. I said, y'all don't even let him in. I ain't got time for that mess. And he might be right and I might be wrong, but I didn't like his attitude about it. I'm not infallible, but I got a problem with people that want to pick apart the Word of God. Spend more time arguing about the Scriptures than they do living it. And I'm going to tell you something else. I know some people that the only time they ever study that Bible is to try and defend some kind of sin in their life. That crowd really gets under my skin. While I've been studying, that's the only thing you've studied in the 20 years you've been saved is trying to find some way to prop up what some man of God said was a sin in your life. Amen. Now you want to dig and you want to study. You need to get right with God. Is everybody okay? They don't ever study anything except trying to prop up and defend some sin, some worldliness, some carnality. They want to throw some dispensational 
true. Well, that really doesn't apply today. Well, why don't you just go ahead while you're at it. Here, take mine too. Go ahead and get a pen knife and cut out all the stuff that don't matter anymore. Ain't no sense in us reading it if it don't apply. Some psycho babble that, you know, well, you know, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. Worldliness is objective. It's subjective. And worldliness doesn't always mean that it's a sin and, and times change and the world changes. And just because something's worldly doesn't mean it's a sin. I thought, well, that's so strange because first John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Somebody should explain to him that that verse had an expiration date on it. Whatever was a sin in their world, whatever it was that Demas forsook Paul, having loved this present world. We got people doing it today. It's the same difference. We got people who spend all their time studying the Bible to try to break down and, and argue with the man of God and argue with the message of the word of God. You know what the problem is? They were not in dear sound doctrine. They heaped themselves teachers having itching ears. That's why Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Amen. Amen. The instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will heap themselves teachers having itching ears. You ever get a bunch of them in your church, you can go ahead and start carving out the tombstone. Not endure sound doctrine. Amen. We got them today too, buddy. Places are filling up with absolute heresy. Nonsense. I said it's psychobabble. They sound, they, they think they sound so smart calling God a liar and putting a question mark where God put a period. Turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Here at Calvary Baptist Church, we're gonna do our dead level best to keep the word of God preeminent. This Bible's right. All of us are wrong and this Bible's right. It's always been right. Amen. And it'll be right 10 years from now. It'll be right a hundred years from now. In fact, Jesus said not one jot or one tittle, the heavens and the earth will pass away, but his word will not pass away. That book right there is right. It's right. And the longer I'm saved, the more I love the word of God. And the longer I'm saved, the more every time I pick it up, it shows me something I need to fix in my life. You say, well, I read it all the time. I don't see anything I need to change. You're reading it upside down. You're reading it upside down and you're not left-handed. That's a joke. The message is disputed. That's one reason why a lot of churches, you know, a lot of churches are going out of business because they had a man of God that preached and they didn't like what he preached and they ran him off. And then the church went out of business. Churches are shutting down all over America. They had a preacher. They just didn't want one. Number three, uh, church loses ground when the membership is divided. Jesus said in Mark 3, 25, if a house be divided against itself, a house cannot stand. That's one reason why I'm such a big, big proponent of unity in the church. Unity. 
starts with doctrinal unity. I'm not, I'm not an ecumenical. I'm not an ecumenicalist. Y'all know what that is, don't you? I'm not going to hold hands with the, the, the Church of God and the Assemblies of God and the Presbyterians and the Methodists and, the, and uh, not even the Southern Baptist. I'm not even going to hold hands with a bunch of independent Baptists. We ain't the same. Can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer is no. I get invited to stuff all the time. This, all these guys are going to be there. Well, I'm not coming. I'm, I'm not rude about it. I say thank you for the invite, but I'm not coming. I'm not sitting at a table with a bunch of people that believe you can lose your salvation. Amen. That believe you have to be baptized to get to heaven. I'm not sitting at the table with a bunch of people that believe in getting saved by works. Come on now. That's heresy. I'm not sitting at the table with people who believe everybody can't get saved. I'm not sitting at the table with somebody that believes that the blood of Jesus Christ does not have the power to save everybody. I'm not sitting with them. I'm not going to their meeting. I'm not. I've been invited to preach before, and I said, uh, hang on just a second. Let me ask you a couple questions. Um, I'm sorry, I appreciate you, but I can't come preach for you. I'll preach you here just being a, a, a stick in the mud. Tell me something I don't know. But I believe in doctrinal unity in this church. That's why before you join this church, you've got to read the doctrinal statement, and you've got to look me in my God-given eyeballs and tell me you agree with it. Before you join, I don't want you six weeks from now or six months from now or two years from now saying, oh, I don't believe that. Well, you said you did or you couldn't join. A lot of these churches open the doors of the church every service. If you want to join our church, come on down. And they're letting everything and everybody join their church. You better watch it. Little leaven left at the whole lump. Amen. Paul said in Romans 16, 17, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. Don't let them, don't let them in. Don't let them in. 1 Corinthians 1, 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You say, preacher, how in the world are you going to take a church, three or four hundred people, and everybody's going to say the same thing, have the same mind? Oh, that's easy. We just all have the mind of Christ. That's how it happens. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Right before that, Philippians 2, he talked about being like-minded of the same mind. When you read Acts chapter number 2, the Bible says they were all together and had all things in common. You know what they did? They left their culture. They left their preconceived ideas. They left all that outside. And when they came into the church, they all just lined up with that book right there. Lined up with that book. The church is divided. There's conflicts and strife and arguing and debate, God ain't going to bless that church. God's not going to bless that church. This is a drama-free zone. This is a drama-free zone right here. Lord's blessed us. Been here eight years. All but about the first few five, six months, 
We had a little bit of drama at the start. We nipped that in the bud. And it's, since then, it's been drama-free. Yes. We don't do drama. Amen. We don't like drama mamas in this church. Amen. We don't do drama. I ain't got time for it. I ain't got time for it. I said, I ain't got time for it. People dying and going to hell without God. Got time for a bunch of church members to sit around fussing and fight with one another. Hug and kiss and make up. Amen. Women and women and men and men, but no men and women that ain't husband and wife. I, I had to say that because some of you go, oh, okay. <laughs> Number four, write this down. Church loses ground when the morals are discarded. We got to hold. We got to hold a tight, tight line. A tight line. Preacher called me yesterday. Me and my wife were in the truck, coming back from the staff retreat. Preacher called me. He texted me. Said, "I got a couple, I got a question. Can I ask you?" I said, "Sure." Called him going down the road. He said. Had some homosexuals get saved, got born again. Living in, living in homosexuality, got saved. He said, could you help me? What do I do? And we had a long conversation about sexual immorality. And I said, here's the problem. I said, a lot of preachers aren't even preaching on fornication and adultery. And now all of a sudden they want to start preaching against homosexuality. They just start preaching on all of it. Amen. All of it. Hit it all. Every chance you get. Every chance you get. We got we to gotta keep it clean. We got to keep it right. But whenever a church drops their morality, and it doesn't matter, mark it down, Ichabod's going to be over the door. Preacher, my, preacher friend of mine went to Alabama to preach a revival and he got there and the pastor brought him into his office. He said, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you before you preach this revival this week. He said, every man in this church has slept with every woman in this church. So, all right. Um, well, the first thing I got to do is pray as to whether or not I want to stay and preach. But if I do stay and preach, I'm pretty sure what I'm going to be preaching on. Every night. Right. Right. Amen. Amen. Shake that tree till every dead limb and it falls out. Right. You ain't going to have revival living like that. Amen. Somebody needs to get saved. Right. Right. I'm not sure what the preacher didn't need to get saved. Right. If you could pastor that outfit, there ain't no way in the world I could pastor that outfit. Come on, y'all. You say, preacher, you're saying stuff blows my mind. Welcome to my world. Why do you think my heart is so heavy tonight and burdened? We're churches, we're losing ground. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. You show me a church that accepts sin, sinful lifestyles, sinful, wicked lifestyles, and think it's okay, I'm going to show you a place where God's done made his exit. God ain't showing up. God ain't showing up. Why would God show up? Why would God show up in a church full of fornicators when the Bible tells you and I not to even eat with them? 
Am I still in the book? He said, well, the fornicators don't even company with them. Now, why would God company with them? Uh-uh. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You want to see God? You want to see God in the church? You want to see God show up and work in the church? We've got to keep it clean. I'm talking about when the morals are discarded and anything goes and nothing's wrong. Situational ethics. Well, preacher, you just don't understand my situation. You can stop right there. I don't understand your situation, but I understand the Bible. And that's pretty much all that counts at this point. Amen. You ever start defending your sin, expect everybody else to defend your sin, you're part of a church that's going to shrivel up and die. Church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Truth is not based on circumstances. It's not based on situational ethics. It's based on truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Number five. Is everybody okay? Churches lose their ground when they, number five, the ministries are disbanded. Well, I'm seeing churches, they're just, they just stop trying Start cutting out the Wednesday night service. Start cutting out their Sunday night service. Drop the bus ministry. Drop the bus ministry. They drop soul winning. Well, we used to go soul winning, but we couldn't get anybody to show up, so we quit having it. You're a loser. That's what you are. Instead of preaching on soul winning, getting people involved in soul winning, you just complied with their disobedience and churches shriveling up on the vine because their ministries have been completely disbanded. I have never been more invigorated to fulfill the Great Commission, which, by the way, the first two is the easy part. In fact, God's been wearing me out about that third part. Lord's been, I mean, wearing me out about that third part of that Great Commission. You know it's a three-part Great Commission, right? Get them saved, baptized. What's that third part? Y'all say it out loud. Keep quoting it, Brother Gene. You quit. Say it again. All things. Teaching them to observe all things. Here's the the third part of the Great Commission. Are y'all ready? Put your seatbelts on. Put your seatbelts on. That's where God's been wearing me out, Brother Brother O'Donnell. That's where God's been wearing me out. Teaching them to observe, to observe, to do all things. Is that what it says? Am I quoting that right? Teaching them to observe all things. Observe. That don't mean tell them what it says. It means teach them to do it. And that is where we've dropped the ball, Brother Roth. We thought, well, I told them what God wanted them to do. It's up to them. No, the third part of the Great Commission is to teach everybody that gets saved and baptized, teaching them to observe, are you ready for this? All things. Not just three or four or five. Well, the Lord's been wearing me out about that. And I'm a second generation missionary, Brother Bittner. I was fulfilling the Great Commission when I was a little boy with my daddy on the field. 
And God is wearing me out about that part right there, teaching them to observe all things. That is the job of the church. You feel how tight it's getting in here? Well, if we could just get them to do three or four or five things. No, 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 no. He said, teaching them to observe all things. Ephesians 4, and he gave some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints till we all come together in the fullness of the stature of Christ. The Great Commission means making disciples out of new converts and staying on them and teaching them until they do everything he said do. You know we've dropped the ball on that. We've dropped the ball on that big time. I wonder why our churches are so weak and so anemic that two people can have a little spat in the parking lot and get completely out of church and never go back again. Something was bad wrong way back before that little spat in the parking lot. Churches are falling apart left and right. Doors are shutting. Devil's wrecking havoc in our churches. And we're just cutting back on ministries. Lack of vision. You won't believe how many pastors have got no vision at all. None. You know what's heartbreaking? Somebody calls me or my wife and says, my pastor, I just don't know what he wants. I don't know what he wants us to do. I don't, I don't know what his vision is. Lack of workers. Lack of training. See, we got leadership orientation coming up on Saturday. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do my part to help train, help teach. Define my expectations and what I believe God's expectations are. But you got people that says, well, I just, it's too strict. That church is so strict, I can't do nothing. What you mean is you're so wicked and worldly that you're not qualified to serve in any area. That's what you meant to say. You just didn't say it. I had a pastor call me yesterday. I get a lot of phone calls unless you figured that out. I get a lot. A lot of pastors call me. I don't know why, but they do. He said, I've got leaders who are not towing the line. I said, I do too. Welcome to my world. I said, I want people to be involved. He said, I want people to be involved. But I got to have some kind of guidelines. I said, I hear you. We have to. You have to. I said, we have to. Before you can help people, you've got to be able to meet some kind of criteria. Little J.J. was in the hospital last night. Couldn't hardly breathe. Sister Terry and Diedrich's little grandbaby. J.J. was at the hospital. Couldn't breathe. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. I wasn't there. But I'm guessing the nurses and the people sitting about him had to meet some kind of criteria to be let back there in that emergency room to help people that can't breathe. I mean, they passed a whole lot of people on the way to that emergency room Brother James's daddy, James Nichols' daddy, in the hospital right now, having all kinds of problems with his hand, bleeding, just bleeding. Infection, they're going to have to all, do all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's bad. I'm going to guess that the people down there working on him right now had to meet some kind of qualification 
before they turned them loose on somebody, it was bleeding to death. Right. Right. Why is it? Why is it that we expect the guy running the drive-through at Burger King when he's hired to meet some kind of criteria and watch the orientation video, learn how to upsell that apple pie they always ask you if you want when you don't want it? Did you like a hot apple pie with that, sir? Did I ask for a hot apple pie? No, I did not. I want a Whopper, large fry. Would you like cheese with that? No, that would be a Whopper with cheese. It's on your menu. Upselling. They teach them how to do that. They have to watch the orientation. They have to wear the uniform. And they train them how to do the job. Why is it that the church of the living God which is the pillar and the ground of the truth, is expected to let anything and anybody handle the word of God. Stand before the congregation. Moses looked at Korah. I mean, Korah, Korah is, a, is a first class rebel. He's been going around and got 250 men of renown rise up against the man of God. And you want to know what Moses' first response to Korah was? Seem to you a small thing, a light thing? That God lets you stand before the congregation? We don't just let anybody up here. You had an opportunity and you're blowing it. Is that not what he said? That's the first thing he said. Can't believe you. You know how many people, Korah, wish they were you? Wish they could stand in the place of the Levites. Do you know how many people wish they could handle the tabernacle? Do you know how many people wish they could handle the furniture of the tabernacle? Do you know how many people wish they could labor alongside me and Aaron and you had an opportunity and you blew it? Somehow or another in the local church, pastor has some guidelines, some expectations. People get all worked up. Well, I'm gonna go somewhere where I can serve the Lord. You can serve him here. We got plenty of things to do here. We just got to have some rules. Got to have some guidelines. And my, my position is this. If it's important enough to you to serve, you'll be more than glad to beat whatever criteria is asked. You know, you know what Jesus said to his disciples? I don't know how long I've preached you know what Jesus said to his disciples when he called them Peter, James, and John? You know what he said? Leave your nets. Don't bring them with you. Y'all will get that tonight about, about 3 o'clock in the morning. You'll sit up in the bed and go, oh, I get it. You're not going to need that. You go ahead and leave them there. Don't bring your nets. That is your world, your life your security, what you've always handled and what you've always been familiar with and what you are just a second nature to you, leave your nets, just leave them. And you come on, follow me. I got something different I want you to do and you're not going, we're, don't, we're not going to have no need for your nets. Just leave them. And they left them. They followed Jesus. The first thing Peter did when he got backslid was went back to them too. I go a fishing. Did he not? Right. Go a fishing. 
What am I saying? I'm saying that when you go to serve Jesus, leave your nets. He's going to give you some new stuff to work with, some new rules, some new guidelines, completely different from anything you've ever heard before. We're going to have leadership orientation on Saturday. Some of y'all are scared to come. We've done this every year for the last eight years. Every year. And we have a sweet time where I stand right down there and I tell you, thank you for having a servant's heart. Thank you for your heart for ministry. Thank you for being willing to set all your hobbies and time with your family and all that off to the side and co-labor and partner with me. Now let's just all get on the same page. It's important to me. Because I don't want to see the ministries of the church disbanded. I don't ever want to see those buses out there not running. You drive by churches in the deep south, Brother Bittner, and they got church buses out in the parking lot grown over with kudzu. Y'all know what kudzu is, don't you? It's that vine in the woods that just grows about that much every day. Buses just overrun with kudzu. Tires are all flat and dry rotted. Engines all seized up. Seats all dry rotted and spiders and snakes and wasp nests in the buses. They used to run buses. They used to. They used to go pick up little kids and bring them to church. I came back to the church this afternoon. It was almost 2 o'clock. I'd already been home. Got a shower, ate lunch, changed clothes, laid down for about 15 minutes to try and fake my brain into thinking I got a nap when I didn't, but I do it every Sunday, just psychological warfare. I think if I can just lay there for a few minutes and close my eyes, then when I jump up after 15 minutes, my body will think I got a nap. It don't work, but I keep trying it anyway. Got dressed, jumped on my motorcycle. I was coming back to the church, and that's what I saw come across the. Guess what I saw coming across Merritt Boulevard at two o'clock this afternoon? Church bus full of kids. I'd already been home and eat. I'd already been home and had a shower, took a nap, and there goes our church bus full of kids, and there they went. And I thought, God, please don't ever let these buses stop running. Please don't ever let us see these Sunday school classrooms up here with the doors shut and lights off on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock where churches have stopped having Sunday school because, well, that's, that's how they did it in the 60s. Oh, yeah, we got to make sure we don't want to do nothing they did in the 60s. Whatever we do. They don't even have altar calls anymore in most churches. I mean, if you want to go to the altar in some churches, you'd have to just go down there because they're not going to invite you. It is unbelievable how many independent Baptist churches do not have an altar call. It's unbelievable. Which goes back to what I was saying a while ago, Brother Bittner. They're not preaching a message that forces people to make a decision. There ain't no reason to have an altar call. There ain't nothing to come out here and talk to God about. There's no decisions to be made. There's been no, there's been no uh, uh, preaching. There's been no conviction. What am I saying? I'm saying I don't want to see Calvary Baptist Church lose ground. But it's going to take a group effort. 
It's going to take everybody in here doing their part. I've yet to see a church where the pastor can hold it all together by himself and keep it together and do all the ministries and reach their city for God. I've yet to see a church where the pastor even thinks he can do it by himself. Everybody in here has got to get on board with this right here. The church of the living God. God's blessed us in this town. We've got a church. Now, a lot of churches don't have one. A lot of towns don't have one. That's what I meant to say. A lot of cities don't have a church. We've got one. We don't want to lose it. We don't want to get so self-centered and so wicked and ungodly and backslid that God ever takes his hand off this place. I wonder tonight with heads bowed and eyes closed, would somebody join me in the altar tonight? Would just one or two join me in the altar tonight? And let's pray for God to put up a hedge around about this place.